Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When it comes to discussions about the New Covenant or the Old Covenant, when it comes to making comparisons between law and grace, sometimes people will try to make a division in the law. There are different ways that people make divisions. One of the most common divisions that people make is to say that there's something called the ceremonial law, and then there's something else called the moral law. Sometimes people will make a division between the first ten commandments and then all of the commandments that follow the first ten commandments. Sometimes people will say that there are the commandments that Moses gave, and then there were the commandments that the Pharisees added on top of the law of Moses in order to try to ensure that they would never violate any of the laws of Moses. There are different ways that people have divided the law throughout the course of time, and these discussions still take place today as people are trying to find a way, this is why they do this, they are trying to find a way to hang on to some law in their life. They really want some law. They need some law. And when I say they need some law, I mean that. I mean that people really do believe, they really do feel that they need to have some law in their life so that they can have a standard that they can refer to and they can say, look, I am obedient to God. And you, of course, are being disobedient to God because you're not just like me. This is one of the attitudes that people have when it comes to living a life under the laws that they always need somebody else to compare themselves with. You know, laws really of no value unless you can compare yourself with somebody to say that you do it and somebody else doesn't. That way you can really boast in your own success and you can really glory in your own pride. But that's another subject. What I want to focus on right now is this notion that people try to make a division with the law. Now, of course, the the real value in being able to succeed in doing that, if you can be successful in making a division, is to be able to say that there are some laws that we are to obey and there are some laws that we are not to obey. So when we go into the scriptures and we read the scriptures, especially those in the New Covenant, we need to understand this division when we read the scriptures because whenever the law is referred to as something that we are not to observe anymore or that we are dead to, well, we still want to hang on to some laws. And so let's just say that those laws that we don't want to observe anymore, those are the laws that the writer is talking about. But the writer is not talking about these other laws that there are these other laws that we still need to hang on to. That is why people make a division. Now, I want you to know that I personally am fully aware of these different points of view. I am fully aware of the different divisions that people make. I understand where they're coming from. I understand what motivates people to try to divide the law like that. And so I'm not going to try to deal with all the different reasons why people will divide the law like that, or try to find some way to bring the law back together, even though they've taken it apart into different pieces. I'm not going to do that. Instead, what I'm going to focus on is something that the devil said to Adam. I'm going to focus on that instead. 
What did the devil say to Adam? He said that if you only know what is good and evil, then you can be like God. Now, he could have said other things. He could have said something like, then you can be like God made you to be, or you can be a good Christian. You can be whatever. He could have said anything. But what I want you to identify, what I want you to hear, is the words of the devil where he said, if you only know the knowledge of good and evil. And that's what I want to focus on. I want to emphasize that, that the goal to me is not to try to figure out which laws we are under and which laws we are not under, but instead to remember what was it that caused all of these problems to begin with. What caused all these problems to begin with was the belief in the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if I say that we are to consider the knowledge of good and evil and that we are to be interested in all of those things that are good or evil, that we are to be aware, we are to be informed, we are to be properly educated, we are to be properly discipled in the knowledge of good and evil. If I consider that and then approach the law from that point of view, when I approach the law from the point of view of what laws refer to what is good and what is evil, because those are the laws that the devil will most likely use as a weapon against us, as weapons against us, then what would those laws be? Would they be the ceremonial laws? I would say that that would be unlikely, because the ceremonial laws are not really about good and evil. Not not really. Not in the same way as the other laws are. How about the sacrificial laws? Are they about good and evil? Well, they are in some ways, but not as much as the other laws, like the first Ten Commandments. Now, those are definitely descriptions of what is good and what is evil, aren't they? And so people will try to make divisions in the law to suggest that some laws are obsolete and some laws, other laws, are still in effect. And we are to be preoccupied with those that are in effect. However, when you consider the satanic lie that caused the fall of humanity, the laws that people tend to choose are the ones that are closer, that are more compatible with the lie of the devil that caused the fall of humanity to begin with. That's my issue. That's my concern. That is what I see and what I hear, is that people are still following. They are still following the satanic lie that if you only know what is good and evil, you can be who God made you to be, maybe even better. That's my point. Now, of course, in the previous program, I explained the consequences of this. What are the consequences of trying to live according to the knowledge of good and evil? Well, the consequences are more sin. You will have more sin in your life. In the previous program, I explained that sin is stirred up within an individual by the presence of the law in their lives, first of all, because of the natural rebellion of humanity, Second of all, because it gives us more things to think about not doing or doing that we shouldn't be doing, and it stirs within us sinful desires. When we believe that we have succeeded in living in obedience to certain commandments, any commandments for that matter, we end up having religious pride, and what's worse is that it takes us further and further away from the love and acceptance of God because we cannot succeed in repenting and obeying satisfactorily or enough so that our God will accept us and love us because of our success at being obedient 
to God. And so this takes us further away from him, pushes us further into the world, which directs us to live a life of sin. And so it is the law that stirs up more sin. Now, if you did not have the law, you would still have plenty of sin. So whether you have the law or you don't have the law, you are still going to be bound by sin. There was plenty of sin in the world before the law of Moses. There was more than enough sin after the law of Moses. There is still sin in the world even after Jesus came to present the new covenant. There is more than enough evidence to show that without the law, a person can easily be bound under the bondage of sin. And with the law, a person will also be bound under the bondage and slavery of sin. There's plenty of evidence for both. The only way that you will ever experience freedom and liberty from sin and also to know your God is to have another way. You must have another way. There must be some alternative besides the absence of law or the presence of law. And there is. There is something entirely different. You know, the religious world is consumed with this idea of there are those who do not have the knowledge of good and evil, and there are those who do have the knowledge of good and evil. And religion is all about the knowledge of good and evil and trying to get people to know what's right and know what's wrong and do what's right and don't do what's wrong and just get people under control. And so maybe God will bless us in return, that kind of stuff. That's what religion is. But whether you have religion or you don't have religion, you still have nothing, absolutely nothing. Whether you have religion or you don't have religion, you still have sin. Whether you have the law or you don't have the law, you still have sin. Now, in order to explain this further, I'm going to refer to Romans chapter 1, verse 18. I'm going to review something that I talked about when I talked about Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And that is that there are three different categories of people that Paul is writing about in his letter to the Romans. The first classification of people is the ungodly. And the ungodly are those who do not have the law of God. They may have their own systems of law that they can use, and it will have the same effect as the law of God had for the nation of Israel. It will stir up more sin. But I'm just going to say that there are those who do not have the law that God gave specifically to the nation of Israel. They do not have the law of God, and they have no interest in God, and they do not believe in God, I will just simply call those people the ungodly. And then there are those who do have the law of God. Those who do have the law that God gave, those are the people who are attempting to be righteous through the law, through their obedience to the law, through their repentance from their sins and their obedience to God. Now, of course, they fail. They are not successful. They are not repenting adequately, and they are not obedient in the way that God wants them to be. And so because of that, they think that they are righteous at best, but they are unrighteous because they are not successful in becoming righteous or in being righteous through their pursuit of obedience to whatever commandments they decide to pick out and choose and observe. Regardless of that, you have the unrighteous. Those are people who are trying to be righteous but cannot do it. In fact, there is no one who can be righteous by their own efforts of repentance or obedience to any system of law, to any commandments at all. 
So these are the two people. You have the ungodly and you have the unrighteous. And I refer to the ungodly as those who have absolutely no interest in religion whatsoever or in the knowledge of God. And then there are those who have every interest in religion and every interest in the knowledge of God, but they do not know God because they are still preoccupied with their own repentance and obedience and are still not resting in his forgiveness and they do not know his grace or his mercy. That leads me to the third category. The third category are the righteous. And why are they righteous? They are righteous because they believe God, not because they observe the law or they don't observe the law. They are righteous because they believe and trust in their God. What do they believe and trust in? They believe and trust in what he has done. That's what they believe in. If you will trust in the complete forgiveness of sins and the implications of what that means, then you will be righteous before God because you trust him, you believe in him, you rely on him, you live on the basis of his mercy, not on the basis of your obedience. You live because of what he did, not because of what you think you will do or you will not do. It is a completely different category of individuals in life. So there are three. You have the ungodly, the unrighteous, and you have the righteous. Now, consider the Romans just for a moment here, because, of course, he's writing this letter to the Romans. Who were the Romans? Who were the people that he was writing to in Rome? Were they preoccupied with the ceremonial laws of the law of Moses? Were they preoccupied with those? I would say absolutely not. Because if they were devoted to the ceremonial laws, they could not really do that effectively from Rome. They would have to leave Rome and go to Israel and live there. That's what they would have to do. It's just about impossible. It's very difficult, if not very expensive, to try and live in obedience to the law of Moses unless you are within reasonable, remote proximity to the temple. The temple is where most of the ceremonial laws were observed. And if you don't have reasonable access to the temple, it's going to be very difficult for you to observe those laws that people normally refer to as the ceremonial laws. Now, the Romans were the people who were in Rome. They might have traveled to Jerusalem once or twice in their lifetime, but they certainly would not have been observing the ceremonial laws as was required by the law because they weren't able to get to Jerusalem to observe those laws successfully. You need to understand this, that the Romans were not observing the ceremonial laws in the ways that you probably think they were. And so do you think that they were making a division between the ceremonial and the moral? When Paul was writing this letter to them, do you think that that's what he was describing, that he was describing the differences between the two, suggesting that they were to let go of the ceremonial laws and embrace the moral laws? Well, they were the ones who embraced the moral laws and were not observing the ceremonial laws. That's what was going on back then. And for some reason, people just do not want to consider that. They just don't want to get in touch with that. And so I wanted to mention that because hopefully somebody who listens to this program will understand that this idea of making divisions in the law is totally absurd. Because if you were to really think about the evidence and the situations at hand, they have it totally backwards. They have it completely in reverse. They are trying to build an argument out of something that is pure fantasy. 
The fact is, is that it was the moral laws that people were struggling with. It was the knowledge of good and evil that they were struggling with. It was their observance, their repentance, their desire to be good people that was keeping them from resting in the complete forgiveness of sins. And it was preventing them from entering into the new covenant and walking in the newness of life that Paul was talking about, that he was referring to. I want you to consider that those who are the ungodly, those who do not have the law, are not really any different from those who are unrighteous and do have the law. Both of them can function without God. So while they may be pitted against each other, they may be used against each other to make comparisons with each other. You know, you have the religious people who are always referring to the ungodly people. And then you have the ungodly people who are always condemning the religious people because they're just pretending to be somebody that they're not. And everybody knows it. Well, that is the battle that the devil has created to keep people preoccupied with things that are not of God at all. He has those who are focused on evil and he has those who are focused on good and they're attacking each other and making comparisons with each other, not realizing that it is the knowledge of both good and evil that is that is two sides of the same coin, of the same message of the devil. Both of them function and can live without having a relationship with their God. Those who have the law can observe the law. Those who don't have the law don't observe the law. Either way, they are both going to be condemned. They are both going to be enslaved by sin. One way or another, sin will be their master. Now, in Romans chapter 6, in verse 15, it says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? May it never be. Now, what happens when people read this and they're focused on this issue of the knowledge of good and evil? Well, what happens is, is that they feel threatened by the grace of God. They feel threatened because they have been forgiven. And so they're trying to find some way out. If I tell somebody that God does not hold their sins against them anymore, that if they go out and sin this afternoon or this evening or tomorrow or the next day, he still will not hold their sins against them. People feel very threatened by that because they say, well, my goodness, what's going to keep them from sinning? Well, let me ask you something. What kept them from sinning before? Nothing. They were sinning just fine before. Do you think that they're going to sin more just because they realize that God doesn't hold their sins against them anymore? Of course not. I do understand that some people have acted out their desires, that the sin in their heart has been manifested in their flesh, and they have used this as an excuse. I know of several examples that I could refer to like that, and they say, well, God doesn't hold my sins against me anymore, so I guess I can just go ahead and do it because he's not going to punish me, and you shouldn't punish me either. I've heard that. I've heard that before. I know what people are talking about, but in their heart, they wanted to do it anyway. This does not create a desire within a person's heart to sin. This is what they struggle with anyway. These are issues that they are already dealing with on their own. For him to say this, though, is easily misunderstood because people are so preoccupied with that. They're thinking, my goodness, if a person has the grace of God, they might use that as an excuse to sin. Maybe that's what he's talking about. But you know what? It isn't. What he's saying here is that if you are under law, you will sin. That's what he's saying. Again, in Romans chapter 6, verse 15, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under law, 
but under grace? Well, he just got finished explaining in the previous verses that if you are under law, then you are going to sin. So what are people saying? This is the point. People are saying that we have to stay under the law, otherwise we're going to have more sin in our lives. And he's saying, listen, you're going to have more sin in your lives because you are under the law. Don't you get it? Don't you understand that if you are under grace and not under law, you will have a reduction of sin in your life, not an increase. You will not have an increase if you receive his grace for what it is, if you embrace his grace on the basis of the truth, if you respond to that and follow through with that and turn to him for who he is because of his grace and mercy, if you follow through with that, then yes, you will see a reduction. That's the point. And that's why he can say, may it never be, because it happens in the opposite way. Again, verse 15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? Well, folks, those who are not under the law who are ungodly are those who sin without the law. Those who are under the law, according to verse 20 in chapter 5, the law came in so that the transgression would increase. More sin results from the pursuit of obedience to the law. Continuing into verse 16, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? Who would you subject yourself to to be a slave? You subject yourself to the law. And when you do that, then sin is your master by default. Again, read verse 14 just above. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. So again, if you are someone who has subjected yourself as a slave for obedience, then you have subjected yourself as a slave to the law, and so by default, you subject yourself as a slave to sin. It's the exact opposite that people are considering, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Now, when he uses this word obedience in the context of resulting in righteousness, what is this obedience? Is it obedience to the law? Absolutely not. If it was, then it would totally contradict everything that he said in the previous five chapters. This obedience is the obedience to faith. It is the obedience to believe. The commandment is, believe in me. Trust me. When I said the sin issue was over, I meant it. Obey what I have said by believing what I have said. And that is what results in righteousness. The righteous are those who turn to the Lord for who he is and for what he has done. The righteous are those who believe him, just as Abraham was righteous for believing him. The obedience of Abraham was his belief. Your obedience is your belief. If your obedience has anything to do with law, then it is not of God at that point. At that point, it becomes a trap that will lead you into sin to the extent where you will be obeying the devil who will control and manipulate you on the basis of the knowledge of good and evil. You will not be free to receive the love and acceptance of God. In verse 17, this is Romans chapter 6, verse 17, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed. 
He's talking about the teaching of the grace of God that you are to believe. And that has to do with your heart, not your flesh. That's why he says obedient from the heart, not obedient from the flesh. In verse 18, And having been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. How did you become free from sin? By being set free from the law. Then you could be a slave of righteousness because you can be a slave of God. With the law, you don't need God. You are a slave to the law, which leads you to sin, so you are a slave of sin. He set you free from the law through his forgiveness so that you could turn to him, and for the first time ever, you could be a true slave of God, a true servant of God. In verse 19, I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. And what is this sanctification that he's referring to? He's referring to those who are set apart because they believe the gospel. That's the sanctification that he's referring to here. He's referring to you being set apart because you believe in him. And because you believe in him, you have eternal life. That is the sanctification he's referring to. He mentions it again in verse 22. In verse 22 it says, But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. That is the salvation that you receive when you believe and trust in him and he resurrects you through the indwelling presence of his Holy Spirit to make you into a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now going back up to verse 19, he speaks about lawlessness. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness. You know, there are several ways to look at that. First of all, there are the ungodly. There are the people who are the ungodly, who had no law in their lives at all. And there were also those who had the law, but were not obeying the law. Those people were just as lawless as those who did not have the law at all. Whether you have the law or you don't have the law, you are not going to live in obedience to the law. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Let go of the presence and the absence of the law to embrace the new covenant, which results in being set apart and being sanctified by his indwelling presence because of what he has accomplished on your behalf. And I will continue in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net there can be 